All right, perfect. So I guess we'll just keep going here uh, to kind of ground us. We're we shall resume. We shall resume from about the fourth chapter on institutional spe- on the institutional spectrum. So this is where, as Andrew alluded to a little earlier, he gives us the distinction between convivial and what is the other term? Uh, manipulative. Manipulative, exactly. Yeah, and this comes out in in kind of the same way we might think of a political spectrum. Right, where you have some institutions that are more convivial on the on the left. <laughs> That's no coincidence. Right. And then uh, on the right, we have schooling, we have the military, and we have you know all of the or, and then we have law enforcement, all of these types of things. But he, he gets into kind of weird territory because he he puts things like sidewalks on 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 the left, like a, like a random choice. Like sidewalks are are an institutional formation or highways. Maybe, like um, how highways work in, in such a way. So, there are two differences, I think. Um, the manipulative institutions are there because they want to preordain use of them. And they want to function in a way that um, forces you to use them in a, in a particular manner. Whereas convivial institutions are characterized by spontaneity. So oh, right. the sidewalk, what do you use when you're going down the sidewalk? What do I use? And what do you use? The, the ground. Or well, the, I mean, the you, cemented, you, you, uh, you use your own legs. Oh, I see, yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, everything you need for the sidewalk, you have within yourself. Right. Whereas with the highway, what do you need for that? Cars. You need a car. So it, it's a way of, of preparing you. Okay, let me uh, rephrase this. It's an institution that comes with a need that you have to have to grant uh, to gain access to this institution. Right. You need to have a car to use a highway. Yeah. Whereas with a convivial institution, um, everything that you have already, everything you are already, um, is enough to participate in them. Yeah, exactly. And the, he then draws something of a uh, connect between highways and between schools, because they both yeah. are, are kind of uh, lead to the same thing, or all roads lead to the school. Where he says, General Motors and Ford produce means of transportation, but they also, and more importantly manipulate public taste in such a way that the need for transportation is expressed as a demand for private cars rather than private uh, public buses. So in that way, and the only way that people can afford private cars is, of course, if they've gone through the gauntlet of education and, you know, jump through all the hoops. Oh, uh, yes. I never thought about it this way, but that's a very good observation. You know, and a lot of poor people have cars, but we know that there's no one outside of this system. If they are poor and have a car, it's because of some kind of other institutional um, situation. But I find it funny. He So on the left, the extreme left, he has examples like bakeries and hairdressers. Then on the extreme right, he has schools and hospitals. And then in the middle, he's, he's like hotels and cafeterias. <laughs> it's, it seems like some random... Uh, 
Because in the middle, uh, hotels and cafeterias are serving other people. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, I just um, don't know why. For, 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 for their needs. Yeah. On the on the right, you're serving people for manufactured needs, and on the far left, you're. What 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 does he list on the far left again? Uh, bakeries and hairdressers. <laughs> and the hairdressers because <laughs> people come in and ask for what they want. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what I mean, institution. Uh, oh, <laughs> um, I will come back to words eventually. What I'm interested in is the false public utilities right. idea, mm -hmm. which he gets with, which he gets to with the highways. Um, as an example, as an example, leads to school. On page 86 in my edition, we have different editions, which uh, is unfortunate. But um, he says, of all false utilities, school is the most insidious. Highway systems produce only a demand for cars. Schools create a demand for the entire set of modern institutions which crowd the right end of the spectrum. So with highways, there is a specific need that... Um, or demands that uh, gets produced by this particular institution, where a school is an institution that inculcates a need for all institutions. It's kind of a general element in this sense. And then he talks about um, what happens to the people who question these needs or these demands. A man who questions the need for highways would be written off as a romantic the man who questions the need for school is immediately attacked as either heartless or imperialist. Right. And so in that where, way, where is it, where is for Illich to talk about school or the need for school is the opposite. Wait, hang on. Let me, wait, hang on. <sighs> Sorry. I, I got caught up in my own rhetoric and I forgot about the truth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sophist. Exactly. Um, when Illich is talking about it, the need for school is immediate. Uh, the need for school is uh, heartless or imperialist. So it, 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 it's flipped around. So we, we have this uh, false consciousness that makes us believe that anyone who says that people shouldn't be educated in a certain way in a particular nation is, you know, uh, someone who's trying to perpetuate poverty or someone who's trying to uh, make sure that a nation has a dependency on um, what normally characterizes imperial nations. Right. So in, another way of thinking about what you, how you just characterize that need for cars or, and, and, um, or how people consider uh, those people that criticize highways, like, Hi. the, you know, written off, you know. It's just insane. It's yeah. just insane. Like, yeah. imagine someone told you, we don't need roads or streets. Like, that seems like, that seems, that seems ridiculous. Yeah. Because... All of the society we live in, yeah, is dependent on there being streets, there yeah. being highways, because people own cars, 
people need to get to places and people are expected to get to places at a particular time because they can take advantage of a car or they can take a greyhound or they can take a train or they can take an aeroplane. As soon as you institutionalize a certain thing and everyone expects people to conform to that yeah. Yeah. institutionalized value. This is Urch's whole complaint of like we didn't realize that we've been fucked over without realizing it. And, 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 and no, you, you, you go. I, I have. Well, what I, he says. What he says about the phenomenon of cars is that the man who does not go or do, who does not own a car in Los Angeles may be almost oh, yeah. immobilized. But if he can somehow manage to reach a workplace, he can get a hold of a job. The school dropout has no alternative route. The essentially, you know, the w and it's it's interesting to think about it in the way you know you just said it because it's it would seem as though highways, uh, cars, seems to be a more pervasive system than schools itself. Where I can imagine people getting by without going through school, they'll just get a job and then be looked down upon by you know the majority of everyone else, which mm -hmm. is its own problem clearly. But if people can't get around because they can't get a car, and this is certainly the way that, you know, this this city is working right now where infrastructure is being put in place in order to allow more people to come in with their cars, but that doesn't make any sense, right? Because it's not, it's obviously, it's not yeah, yeah. sustainable, it, you know, in 20 years, if everyone, you know, is coming in with their cars, there's no amount of growth that can possibly accommodate that kind of hypothetical uh, endpoint. So it seems to me as though, the highway or the notion of roads or cars are a more all-pervading system than schools. And I'd be curious to see what you, you know. Well, I think it's very important that you use this Los Angeles as um, as an example of that because no one walks in Los Angeles. The public system is the public transit system in Los Angeles is shit. Um, it gets shat on all the time. Um, so, I mean, uh, if he was writing about, you know, Vancouver or Montreal at the moment, then, you know, it'd be, it would not be the same. It would not be the same analogy. Right. I think. Mm -hmm. Because there is an assumption in Los Angeles that you need to have a car to get around because Los Angeles is such a massive city, it's all connected by roads. It can't be serviced by one transit system alone. Um, so he, he's using this as like an extreme example of what you need to do to have a car. Um, and it, it's, he's saying it's even harder to get by in, in a schooled society. Um, it's even harder to get by in a schooled society well, wait, okay, sorry, I completely fucked this up. <laughs> it's harder to get by in a school society than it is to get by without a car in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of comic comparison. Right. In a sense. Um, I don't think he's making a general judgment about getting by without a car in modern society in general. Um, 
And also bear in mind that this is written at a time where public transit was not in the same state it yeah. was n- uh, nowadays. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, we do, neither of us own a car. Yeah. And we get a buy. I d- well, I, I get around in London pretty easily without a car. Um, yeah. And this is also before ride sharing, uh, too. Um, so maybe the analogy doesn't really stand in our age. But I understand. I get what you mean about. Um, I should know. I don't know. There are certain jobs that you're excluded from if you don't have a driver's license. Yeah, that's true. Sure, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So the big for for him, he see, he almost sees there at, at one moment to be the possibility of reforming the notion of school. And I mean, I'm saying that very loosely because his entire project is around this idea of de-schooling society. But I think kind of on the horizon, he sees the possibility that there can be a kind of schooling that fosters many of the things that he says, where a school, we might be able to consider it as that zone where, as we figured it as like a dating app, where people who had common interests can get together like an Agora or an Atrium or something like that could in a sense be a school where people could actually choose to be taught by someone who they've effectively agreed upon has knowledge about this rather than it being someone mandated by the state mandated by any other kind of authority Uh so his one of his big challenges then is against the idea of compulsory learning Mm -hmm. right so this is you know moving into the next section he says that compulsory learning cannot be liberal right so he wants people to have that choice, which is seems pretty reasonable in, in how we've been talking about it so far. Um, but do you think then, because his language is kind of, um, is kind of loose, because he says compulsory learning cannot be a liberal enterprise, whereas for me, I understand the uh, notion of learning as being tied to kind of education in a broad sense, where I could learn from a mechanic how to do, you know, something with with a car or whatever. Someone who knows about that, and I wouldn't necessarily condemn learning in that sphere, but rather, it's that kind of implicit attachment to um, to the school as it has been as it, as it has been made manifest in the kind of oppressive way as he's laid it out. And I'd be curious what you what you think about that. If there is not only a possibility for school to be to actually be liberal in the way in the atrium type way, or if or if not. Well, so you're, let me understand this right. Your question is: Can education be liberal without undermining skills? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh-huh. I, yeah. Where you could have learning in the sense that you I, have I, I, a mechanic uh, teach you or something or some uh, kind of expert or professional in some field. Because, and could it be liberal because, in that way? Because the predominant understanding in liberal arts theorizing, as it extends to this day, is that the liberal arts are useless and that's why they're useful. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I want to go all the way back. I'm sorry to take us back. You should. Um, to why we must de-establish 
disestablished school, um, it's one of my favourite sections of the book, um, where he writes, both the exchange of skill and the matching of partners are based on the assumption that education for all means education by all. Right. Not the draft into a specialised institution, but only the mobilisation of the whole population, the whole population, can lead to popular culture. And this is what this then feeds into his uh, commentary on what, what what incidental or informal education means, which is informed by his understanding of the history of apprenticeship, the history of mentorship from his medievalist uh, background. It's a whole paragraph. Do you mind if I read the yeah, whole paragraph? Please. Okay. Incidental education can not any longer return to the forms which learning took in the village or the medieval town. Traditional society was more like a set of concentric circles of meaningful structures, while modern man must learn how to find meaning in many structures to which he is only marginally related. This is the whole hierarchy within institutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a village, language and architecture and work and religion and family customs were consistent with one another, mutually explanatory and reinforcing. To grow into one implied a growth into the others. Even specialised apprenticeship was a byproduct of specialised activities, such as shoemaking or the singing of psalms. If an apprenticeship never became a master or a scholar, he still contributed to making shoes or to making church services solemn. Education did not compete for time with either work or leisure. Almost all education was complex, lifelong and unplanned. And I think when he's talking about a liberal education, he's talking about um, an education that is governed by institutions that were established under a liberal bourgeois society. Right. Which meant that they were detached from the everyday life of ordinary people. Um, which in turn established a hierarchy between mental and manual labor. This is obviously borrowed from the uh, from the Greeks and reintroduced in a Renaissance society, which introduced which influenced the Enlightenment very prominently. Um, so he, when he's talking about this schooling, he's talking about a form of education that's very integrated in what what the society is. Right, and we're, 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 with skill exchanges, it's a way of um, dissolving the division between intellectual education and vocational education. Exactly. So when he, so he he says two things kind of pertaining to that. Notably, the way that the rest of society has become a school to some extent. He right, says, "Well, institutionalized." Yeah. He says, all educators are ready to conspire to push out the walls of the classroom with the goal of transforming the entire culture into a school. And then, um, in, in giving us kind of a, you know, there are little glimmers of hope kind of yeah. sprinkled in here. He says that 
Our present educational institutions are at the service of the teacher's goals. The relational structures we need are those which will enable each man, 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 to define himself by learning and by contributing to the learning of others. So in that way, like you said, how it, being, how it would be um, um, kind of like a reciprocal process, right? Where it's not simply those people granted the status of teachers and those people then therefore granted the status of or forced upon them the status of pupil or student. Aye. But it being more of a fluid dynamic where who's to say that this child cannot teach me something about, I don't, who knows. In the, today, I don't know, video games I, as a silly example or can't teach me something about compassion or friendship or something like that that I wouldn't be able mm. to learn anywhere else. So yeah, in that way, like thinking about the possibility of there being that um, that kind of new school, which I feel like he kind of well, gets works too. But let's bear in mind that he was trained as a you know a priest, and one of the key stories in Christianity is the the story of Jesus going to the rabbis as a twelve year old and teaching them about scripture. Right, right. There is no way to measure who deserves to be a teacher and who deserves to be a learner because, I mean, well, let's go back to our conversation about uh, a rent, right? And the concept of natality. Mm -hmm. uh, there is always a, con uh, a constant and relentless introduction of the new into the world. And although we may attribute authority to the rules of those who became, came before us. No one can really anticipate or control the disruptions of the new. Um, I, I think this is part of uh, Urch's critique of the school is that it doesn't anticipate anything new. It has this kind of... Um, well, I think we can <laughs> distinguish between the new and the repetition of the same. Yep. Um, which, which is part of his idea of the ritualization of progress. Um, it seems like we're moving forward, but we're just doing the same thing over and over again. Exactly. Um, in more yeah. like a seemingly original ways whereas the real new is the disruption it's the rupture it's the uh, unexpected yeah i think that's what uh, 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 illich wants us to form convivial institutions that allow us to cultivate a kind of oopsie daisy uh, cultivate a kind of um mentorship between um those who know more about particular skill and those who want to know it because I mean there, there is a sense of an inheritance of knowledge of people who came before but at the same extent uh, you need to accommodate creativity within that um, of a way of creating new forms that um, the old guard just didn't anticipate yeah um, because, but, but, but because there is a risk with uh Deschooling. Well, let me think about this. A risk with deschooling is that you end up with teachers who learnt under schooling. 
Like the a residue of the old system? Yes. Okay. And then you end up repeating what what already occurred, or or uh, replicating what you're trying to avoid. Right. Like, like how do you uh, unlearn learning, and how do you de-school schooling? Yeah. Because surely the people who end up being the mentors for people who um, want to learn under this de-schooled system would have been educated under a schooled system or a schooled society. Um, and how do you avoid replicating those uh, dynamics? Right, and it, there there are a number of things to do because he gives a kind of schematic as to what that would look like. Uh, but he says like... Um, uh, one of these things is that you empower all who want to share what they know to find those who want to learn it from them. Oh, this and is the three, the yeah, three the, points, right? The three purposes are of, of you know, the general characteristics of new formal educative institutions. I should have popped that over there. So, well, yeah. to read the three of them, uh, they go as follows. It should provide all who want to learn with access to available resources at any time in their lives. Which is juxtaposed with age in the phenomenology of school. There you go. Empower all who want to share what they know to find those who want to learn it from them. Which is juxtaposed with teachers and pupils earlier in the phenomenology of school. And finally, furnish all who want to pres present an issue to the public with the opportunity to make their challenge known. Which is uh, in juxtaposed to full-time attendance because it's just, you know, the repetition of the curriculum over and over again to each class. And thinking about the second one where we empower those people who want to share what they know, that would demand yeah. getting rid of our entire institutional understanding of, a th of childhood, right? Because we automatically associate with childhood oh, with very children good. Yeah, that yeah. they don't have the ability to do this, right? So... Of course, getting at the idea of schooling is a, certainly a good place to start, but right. it would seem as though this would need to run uh, would need to run parallel to the project of getting rid of, for example. Uh, sorry, that was probably very loud. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, listen, I'm very very drunk. How else would we be able to talk about this? Indeed. Uh, well, I was about to say this, but. but um, um, after talking to you when I'm very, very drunk, all, all I can think of is I should turn, I just should rock up the seminars completely wankered. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And then I'd, I'd be able to, I'd, I'd uh, definitely get a participation grade. Uh, anyway, continue. Right. I'm, I'm, I was just saying that it would, it would seem as though this project needs to run parallel to the destructuration or the kind of de construction of a notion of deconstruction in a very broad sense, not in the Derridian sense, of this idea of childhood. People use uh, that term too loosely sometimes and it drives me up the indeed. wall. Um, right. It, yeah. Otherwise, how would you be able to foster this empowering? Okay, so I know that we talk about him and we hate him, uh, but Jordan Peterson, right? Um, I gave a paper on him in Boise and about how his um, his ideas of postmodernism come from this terrible book called Explaining Postmodernism by Stephen Hicks. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how it's ultimately about the control of the university. Right. And before that, I thought that the best strategy for a radical left 
people or academics or people who are involved in like critical pedagogy would be to migrate from university into a more free school system or a de-schooled idea of education. And this recent paper made me wonder of like, well, where would we leave the university in this point? The university would be overtaken by people who wanted to school people. Yeah. In the kind of ideology that Jordan Peterson purports. Also, what's interesting is that Jordan Peterson has been persuading his listeners to go to trade school to learn a trade and all that they need to know about the humanities comes from him. Yeah. And... So yeah, this, is, well, this, is a, this is a perverse twist on the de-schooling that, ideal. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it, to, in certain contexts, it appeals to the lowest common denominator. Um, because you're no longer obliged to be challenged. Like, like I, I know, I mean, to refer to personal experience on this and to, in an attempt to back it up, a lot of people I know who did the same masters as me developed like an alcohol problem. Uh-huh. Or they had to go see therapists afterwards because it was very intense. It was like way too personal at certain points. Um, and it, it was too overwhelming. It was not the, the, conducted in the best way. But at the same point, at, at the same time, rather, um, we all improved as writers and thinkers and readers without us really recognizing that this emotional or psychological trauma was an integral part of us becoming better writers or readers or thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very intense, I think. Um, and people like Peterson are appealing to people to become better in a way that's not too threatening. Yeah, I and agree with that. outside of the school system, outside of the university system. Yeah. So it seems like it's de-schooling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems I like understand. it's de-schooling. Yep. Mm-hmm. But the encouragement to go to trade school. It's just another form of schooling, though. It's another form of schooling. Right. It's another form of schooling. It, it's a more... I, 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 it's a way of making sure that there's a superior who teaches you a skill. That isn't done in a... I mean, as, and also in a meta sense, it is a university professor at U of T telling you to go to trade school Yeah. And yeah. listen to him about these more humanistic subjects. Right. So, uh, in the extent that there's this kind of learning web process going on. Yeah, good uh, good term. Uh, in a sense. Yeah. It is a learning web process that just mirrors the process of schooling. In fact, it seems to be a more extreme version of it because it seems to be more centralized, right? And there are these figures, uh, and they are indicative of... People like like Peterson and other kind of, and I see this well, for the most part. Dark web, definitely, and, uh, but, and also the more innocuous sense, the Yale lectures. Yeah, 
or, uh, yeah, or like, Prager yeah. U, you know what that is? Well, no, well, Prager U is like just indoctrination station. But like I have, uh, the Yale lectures are like just sort of more neutral education. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not neutral. I mean, it, it is basically the training of the elite. But um, in, the, in the sense that the professors there at least have some, don't have an explicit political agenda in the same way as Preggy you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, they're, they're like, well, I mean, at Yale, they're like, I don't want to teach this undergraduate course. I'm going to do as little work as I can yeah. to teach this because I'm like faced with thousands of students and it's being videos. I'm like, I feel fucking awkward. Yeah. And all of that Which is different. I mean, which is definitely a form of schooling. Undoubtedly, because um, the name Yale is attached to it. Yeah, know? absolutely. Um, whereas Prager-U and Peterson and other people on the intellectual dark web is a form of schooling, but it tries to um, it tries to present itself as countercultural. And in the same way we were talking about earlier, of like conservatism as the new counterculture. Um, and, and this is a um, threat that Illich anticipates. Yeah. He's like, yeah. well, like, uh, this schooling schools and this schooling society are completely different things. That's a good, I like um, that. Uh, because the schooling school means that you don't under uh, don't understand that institutions have you know pervaded culture generally, uh, whereas the schooling society means that we we uh, untangle people's dependence on institutions, right, and and make them more accountable and more autonomous in their own communities, which is strangely enough a very autonomous position, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a very good point because, and we, we spoke about this right at the beginning, is that there is the possibility that this get co-opted oh, yeah. if, if you give a very kind of loose reading of it. Um, and how, how these many of these figures are, not illich, but these kind of online figures are perceived as being countercultural uh, um, antidotes to some kind of oppressive system, however it manifests itself, always seems well, to well, mirror. I mean, they seem to be doing pretty well. Well, this is the criticism they have about socialists. of like, well, you can't be a real socialist because you're really benefiting from the system. But at the same time, they're like, oh, we can't stand this liberal system. I'm like, you're doing really well by this liberal system yeah, yeah, yeah. that you purport to um, oppose. And that's exactly it. It seems to, in every part, seem to want to usher in a more oppressive form of the exact same thing they oppose, but they're willing to accept it if if it means that it is one that they craft, which, it, you know, yeah. is already, they already live in a system they've crafted, right? Which is Promethean. Right? Which is, I think, yeah. I mean, we could jump to that, but we could... I mean, there are plenty of little details, I think, that are really essential to Illich's argument, but... Um, as the listener may have gathered by this point, it's a couple of bottles of wine in. <laughs> <laughs> we are there. 
Have you ever heard of the, the podcast Drunken Philosophy? Or the- Drunken Philosophy. I once, when I was at the Edinburgh Fringe, I saw uh, Drunken Shakespeare. Drunken and Shakespeare. there's a theatre company where the, the protagonist of each Shakespeare play is absolutely subtled. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely, completely pissed. And everyone's trying to do like a normal Shakespeare play, but the main character is just out of their <laughs> mind on alcohol. And even if they pass out, they still do the lines <laughs> <laughs> and try their best to go through this Shakespeare play, despite the fact that someone's unconscious because they've had so much vodka. That, that does. But drunken philosophy. I mean, oh, I, I, it's also like drunk history. On like, uh, drunk history is also another thing too. Yeah, I'm just saying. I hope they don't sue us. I I didn't advertise this as drunken though. Not that they, well, no, not that I they mean, listen to this. I mean, <laughs> but uh, at, at this point, I could say that I. I occasionally, no, I, I can't even say it, like, because I know it's recorded, and <laughs> I, 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 at some point I might want to extend my Canadian visa. <laughs> you're a student, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're also talking about Illich, so no one cares, unfortunately. Yeah, there will be a few people, I'm sure. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. This... I've, yeah. We'll we'll see. I'm I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I wonder which weirdos will listen to this. But uh, I, I actually, I mean, I, I I'm we're also the weirdos who are into Lich. So. Yeah, it happen to be two people yeah. that know each other. Well, it'll maybe. be a learning web. I mean, that's the that's the. Well, what that's are the some dream. key things? Because you you mentioned there were some some things you wanted to or pick out or something that stood out. Well, to I you? mean, there are the general characteristics of new formal educative systems, which I think, I mean, the crucial point to be made there is that it's juxtaposed to what you write about in um, the phenomenology of school, um, even though they're about 100 pages apart. It doesn't mean needs to be addressed that uh, he's making a parallel, parallel there um, and he talks about the four networks, I guess. Um, oh, damn. Sorry, pages are flying everywhere because I just don't have... Um, I don't have an elastic bands that can band this yeah. edition together. David's editions are much more put together. Um, so there are four different approaches which enable the student to gain access to any educational resource which may help him to define and achieve his own goals. This is the use of the male pronoun as universal rather than exclusive. Number one is reference services to educational objects. Um, this is making sure that people are, um, people can have access to resources, really. Um, and some examples that he gives, like uh, the uh, resources that are reserved in libraries, rental agencies, laboratories, showrooms, like museums or theatres, um, or even factories, airports and farms. Um, so these are all different services or educational objects that he lists. Uh, skill exchanges is um, another network that one may gain access to. Uh, peer matching. Uh, so 
where someone might engage with someone who is a partner in an inquiry or reference services to educators at large, uh, which is kind of a directory for uh, the addresses and self-descriptions of professionals, paraprofessionals, or freelancers, along with conditions of access to the services. Uh, so I mean, uh, but at this point is like very interested in like the, the practical conditions of how the hell can we do school society and make sure that people still have access to people who know more than them. Right. Um, I, I think the most important thing is the educational objects. The educational objects uh, become more complicated in our own age where things are more coded in the literal sense. Um, in not the same way as the mechanical. Like, I, I, I definitely remember summers where my brother-in-law or the neighbours were leaning over a car and trying to figure out how to adjust certain parts of it or trying to fix certain parts of it. And the presentation was right in front of you. You could see what link to watch. You could go into it and see which particular wires match with particular wires and where that led to in the car or particular pipes led to particular points. Think about coding. You can't figure that out in the same way. You need to go to an institution or something similar to figure out how coding works. I yeah. think. Definitely now. Um, because it, it takes a very high level of coding to um, produce the sort of products that we become familiar with on our interfaces. Um, people aren't creating websites in GeoCities anymore, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. And um, where, where, where there is basic coding education, I think. And I think that, like, in the case of cars especially, uh, and this might be more of a conspiracy theory that I'm just going to spread... Cars are have been growing in um, uh, where their their engines are are more reliant on computers to the extent oh, yeah. that you cannot Oop. you cannot repair them locally. Dinner's ready. You, you, yeah, you <laughs> Sorry, cannot. I just bumped the bowl. You cannot repair them locally. You have to take them into somewhere that has a, a pre-programmed computer that is going to be able to diagnose your your issue or whatever. And how cars are designed in such a ways to make them impossible to repair without the institutional support of the company that you bought it from Remo removing any possibility of a, a single person actually learning about the very procedures that go underneath it unless they have the yeah, opportunity yeah. to go through quote-unquote higher education that can teach them about the you know the software that is uh, behind it right so i think that just kind of emphasizes your point speaking about you know, the kind of distance that is growing between people and the possibility of learning things that will give them kind of command over their world in a meaningful way. Not to say that cars are the answer, but, you know, it's just an, uh, an example. So, I mean, this is something that gets raised occasionally um, in in circles who are concerned about this sort of thing. Right. Which are gradually diminishing. Um What's the difference between humanistic and technical education? I don't know. 
I would, gi- I would give you a ter- oh come on you're, I'd I give mean, you you're, a- you're, you're an intellectual like I am I'd so give you a terrible answer you're, you'll be able to give us a spontaneous answer um you've read enough Heidegger no I haven't I have not read a lot of Heidegger <laughs> I'm joking I'm joking if I were to I would first at this point even if we consider that question well if I consider that question in relation to Illich it would seem as of though course, yes, the distinction is. between a kind of technical apparatus of of learning and a humanistic apparatus yeah. of learning have become blurred to the extent that even those things that are considered oh, yes. part of what our human needs have been so filtered through a you know some kind of institutional paradigm a very technical one at that oh, that's very good that makes it so that you know, I can't necessarily say where does the human end, where does the technical apparatuses that conduct the human begin in its, or, you know, institutional organization. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that's how I'd answer that, but I'm... And yet, and yet, the people who decide the funding at Western still yeah. function with that yeah. notion. Yeah. Right? Because most of the funding for Western comes from people who want that funding to go towards... Technical education as we understand it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the the, the way that the the way that humanistic learning is understood, at, definitely at Western University. I wouldn't want there to speak about other universities, but it's understood as a requirement. And when requirement is raised, obstacle is just a, syn- a synonym. Um, it's a requirement of part of the technical education that you really want, because the technical education will get you the, will guarantee you the paycheck. Yeah. Um, so it seems a requirement because the university says, for Brits, you need to take a class in the arts humanities. Yeah. Yeah. And they take. You know, they take Japanese anime. Okay, just in case Michael is listening. Japanese anime is a great class. Uh, Harry Potter or Game of the Thrones, the, cla- the, 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 the class on those, or the creative writing class that's taken, uh, is offered by the writing studies department. But it is just a requirement. It's part of schooling. It's part of you being assigned a social role within the society that you inhabit and that's what learning is for most people right and you so know should, should, shouldn't should, fly too close to the sun you know <laughs> we are, uh, but there that is a good point the way that we um make mandatory like those kind of humanities courses is kind of like uh pressure valves and we say like oh they took their one uh you know writing course and that's it yeah. right then they get their credit and that's it. Like in the, in the educational. Well, I thought I found it. Uh, um, TAing on a creative writing course, and like what when I was finding up. So and like the theory center doesn't have a TI office at the moment. So I direct them to like the theory student uh, theory center lounge. And while we were finding a place to sit over a different place, I was like, "Oh, what are you reading at the moment?" And they said, "Oh, I'm too busy to be reading at the moment." Like, but. You're taking a fucking creative writing course. You do you should be reading. Yeah. Um, 
So it's no longer taken as just uh, I don't know. I mean, it's so bizarre because the the, the 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 way that you, I mean, definitely the way that I came to the humanities was from reading and just sitting in my room and you know turning the pages and feeling like nothing else mattered and uh, what other people thought, what other people read um, and what I thought about that and how I might integrate and how I might change my own writing style from that. Uh, I don't see that or hear that from the people who are taking the creative writing course. Um, just that whole life involvement. Um, and what Illich foresees in de-schooling societies that people aren't going to be leaping into something with their whole life if you just make it an obligation. Yeah. If you make it an obligation, then they'll be like, okay, I need to do that to get into this other institution that I'm really interested in the power. Right. Because you've institutionalized yeah. that wants to become a need. Mm-hmm. Carrot on the end of the stick is... Exactly. I mean, it's like that this thing should be a desire rather than a requirement. And the reason that stuff like writing or stuff like literature or stuff like the humanities is a requirement rather than a desire is because our whole society is based on prioritizing things that are deemed as necessary. Deemed as necessary, the the um, deemed the important. Uh, well, term. I mean, it's a it's a mathematical term too, really, yeah. or, or, or a logical term, because it if it follows from certain thing for, from certain premises, and one of the premises, and definitely the premises that Illich deals with the, in this book. If uh, the listener will excuse the uh, pages going past on my uh, legal pad. His handwriting is really... Uh, you know, the handwriting is terrible. The phenomenology of school. The first point is age. Children belong in school. Children learn school. Children can only be taught in school. What are they taught? They are taught that education should result in profit for themselves. Education should result in property for themselves. That they can guard against other people from getting... Um, and this is the whole issue with schooled society it is something that I get and you don't get you so, know it's yeah. based on a sense of ex exclusivity um, otherwise in this particular system it has no value exactly yeah and when you have a universal kind of equivalent or um, measurement that um, renders all things equivalent, like capital, it makes it very easy Aye. to then associate the value with that piece of paper, right? The degree Aye, or whatever. Totally. And but it's all uh, about measurement. Cut like it's from cloth. What is the Epimethean man? How how do, I because I have trouble understanding this. How do they oppose this? Because this. 
end of the stick, right? Right, because the Epimethean man is indicative of hindsight, in you know broad terms, where Illich says that um, in classical Greece the name Epimetheus, which means hindsight, was interpreted uh, to mean dull or dumb, almost like looking down upon. Epimetheus was looked down upon all throughout history, whereas. Illich is saying, fuck, maybe there's something we could we could get from that. And I don't know what you have to think about that. Do you mind if I uh, dip into the personal at some point? You can do whatever you want. Oh, wonderful. So, my master's thesis was on accelerationism. Um, of course, accelerationism does praise, uh, does praise Prometheus because... Yep. It is, uh, he represents uh, mastery, he represents foresight, he represents technology. Mm -hmm. So I was one, my project was an attempt to uh, encourage an Epimethean accelerationism. A cautious accelerationism? Accelerationism. Um, Which Nick Sernacek and Mark Fisher just completely loathed. Um, I, I presented a paper in front of them, and both of them were like, "This is terrible." Um, and, at that, and at that point, I was like, "Yeah, I feel like I'm doing something right with my life." When Nick Sandercheck and Mark Fisher disagree with me, um, so I, 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 I was cautious about the way that Ray Brizier's uh, Prometheanism was included in the accelerationist reader and my contrast to that drew, drew on Illich pretty explicitly because he talked about Ethimetheus um, as a sense of foresight and hindsight but also um, a hope on the level of Epimetheus and expectation on the level of Prometheus. And Prometheus never really expected to be caught when he stole fire, when he stole fire from the gods and strapped to the rock where the bird would take his liver and internal organs from him every day. So there's a limit to Prometheus's foresight where there are unexpected consequences to what was expected. And the original split between Prometheus and Epimetheus um, lay in the myth where Zeus said um, is everything okay with the recording? Okay, good. Um, where Zeus said, you need to give each creature abilities. So Prometheus and Epimetheus went out into the world and gave everyone abilities. Um, and the only creature on the world that wasn't left with any abilities, like claws or um, camouflage, was the human being. And Epimetheus was like, Oh, holy shit, we should have given this uh, creature 
some abilities. This is why Prometheus went up to heaven and stole the fire um, and gave humanity the gift invention of the gift of supplementing their own lack. Yep. Um, the gift of giving them institutions to make up for, for their own inadequacy. Right. But the myth of Prometheus and Epimetheus goes further for Illich to one of the uh, myths of the Flood. Okay. So, um, uh, at this point, the myth, the Greek myth, turns into hopeful prophecy because it tells us that the son of Prometheus was Du Cachalon, the helmsman of the ark, who, like Noah, outroud, out. My pronunciation, although I'm English and I understand words, is horrible for this moment because of wine. Don't drink. Outrode the floods to become the father of a new mankind, which he made from the earth with Pyria, the daughter of Epimetheus and Pandora. Illich Pandora's box is a very um, important myth because the institutionalized man or person gets trapped within Pandora's box in the ordinary telling rather than getting released with hope. Um, we are gaining insight into the meaning of pithos which Pandora brought in from the gods as the inverse of the box, our vessel and ark. We now need a name for those who value hope about the expectations. We'd need a name for those who love people more than products. And this is what Epimethean Man is all about. It's about um, things that, or people who are not, I don't know. Let me think about this for a second. People who were not subservient to institutionalized values, I think. Right, because because they understand that life goes beyond the Epimethean mistake, which would be what the Epimethean mistake is uh, not giving uh, humans an ability to. Exist by, as opposed as a, to Prometheus. Well, Pr 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 Prometheus wants to make sure that humans didn't suffer from this lack. Uh, whereas the sense of Epimetheus is that what constitutes the human is this lack. Right. Um, yeah. And this lack is inescapable to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, whereas Promethea, the, the Promethean myth is like this lack can be satisfied. Yeah. 
hence the uh, affinity with accelerationist politics, as though we can get somewhere with our, you know, by essentially speeding up. But I think that the way you characterize the Promethean human, man, 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 as yeah, being... Man, man is still like the universal <laughs> noun at this point, unfortunately. It should, it's, I mean... If Illich was on our age nowadays, he'd definitely use human, I think. Yeah, he was speaking at the time. I mean, he was an old guy in, in 1970. Uh, no, I mean, it's a, it's a shame. It's a shame. But at the same time, it's... Yeah, it's what we have. Was. But we have this idea of Epimethean man as being... Oh, here. Yeah, so we have this idea of Epimethean man, or at least the idea that I think... But the rebirth of Epimethean The man. rebirth, yeah. right. Because... Epimetheus represents to us a sort of um, hesitancy. But it's not just a hesitancy in and of itself. Right. It is rather a hesitancy based on our... Um, the term Illich uses is hindsight, but of our being aware... Hope. Uh, hindsight and hope. There we go. About looking at other people, and as you said, Andrew, um, as not being like institutional cogs but as people as being one component of that being one result of adopting this mm -hmm. epimethean attitude which is it's a little bit romantic and i <laughs> i i get what he's saying and it like it resonates well with like other kind of other sounds like a hippie a little bit because uh, what does that look like but, but, but he's different from the hippies most certainly um yeah, I mean, I don't know. Anything else? What else stands out to you? It's certainly brave in a time where the global south and the global north are described as opposites. And on top of that, the global south is described as inferior. Yep. It is a book that flips the script. Yeah. And it says, those people that you thought were inferior to you actually know what's really important. Right. You have prioritized the wrong things yeah you have relieved yourself of the responsibility of thinking of the responsibility of learning because you think that education is aligned with learning or institutionalized education and the assignment of social roles um, and this is not how people grow up. This is not how people grow up in other places. I mean, there, there's a point where he's he refers to a personal anecdote. I cannot. I it might it might be in the phenomenology of school. All I'm going to say is that David choked after having a drink of wine 
and he's not much, as much of a hard drinker as you might suspect. Um, so, uh, there's this point where I, I have no idea where the point we left off was. Uh, but recently, well, yeah. I was talking to my night watchman Marcos about his 11 year old son who works in the barber shop. I noticed in I noticed in Spanish that his son was still a Nino. Marco, surprised, answered with a guileless smile. Don Ivan, I guess you're right. Realizing that until my remark, the father had thought of Marcos as primarily as his son. I felt guilty for having drawn the curtain of childhood between two sensible persons. And there's this sense where the idea of schooling is a very um, institutionalized and on a more broader sense, uh, a westernized approach to the relations of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and a sense of certain people get you know, designated as to others or more immature to others until very very recently uh, in history was not um, applied to other people yeah um, and then she's just trying to consider of how we new, use new technologies to combat institutionalized versions of school Epimethean accelerationism uh, indeed Promethean accelerationism would just be more schooling yeah I think yeah um, introducing and, iPads and, and, did not, and would not absorb the real message of Illich of like yeah no I don't I mean although I, I know the accelerationists and like Apart from a lot of their published stuff, they're really smart. Um, at the same time, I think like, well, if I mean you, you're obviously just misunderstanding a lot when it comes to other critical theory. Like, like Mark Fisher would describe um, other critical theory as quibbling critique. Right. Uh, it's like, no, 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 no. A lot of it is in like solidarity with what you do. You just don't get it because it's not the Lucian Cotarianism. You know? <laughs> um, and that's, uh, that's a lot of the stuff that, you know, people who identify as accelerationists don't get. They don't get Illich. They don't get Illich because they don't understand the progressiveness within his conservatism. What appears as a conservatism, I mean. Yeah. Um, I don't grapple with that a lot. They don't grapple with um, education apart from the idea of changing the textbooks. Um, and a lot of that is just, you know, maintaining the same schooling system. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, a lot in the schooling society... Um, how do I put this? Um, a lot of the schooling society is a premonition of the internet. 
as being a space for an alternative schooling? As being a space of connecting people. I okay. Um, I, I don't think that Illich would want to have people connecting who weren't in the same city. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, he's still very committed to local because the local is the place where you can make the change for him. Yeah. Um, he definitely turned against computer communication as the primary form of communication between people. I don't think he would have been opposed to the internet as a way of connecting people initially. Yeah. But like, it needs to move to like uh, uh, IRL um, as soon as possible. IRL is where it makes the real change. Yeah, well, I mean, shit, that's a that's probably a good note to close up on. Um, yeah, I have no more to say, really. Um, I think that was good. No, yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, for thank you, Dave. For, for those that listen this far, I hope that you got something <laughs> yeah. out of it. And if you, I say this at the end, not because it's at the end every time. And I think I feel like a few people make it to the end sometimes. But uh, for those of you that did make it to the end, if you have any problems with what we said, you know how to do it. Um, yeah, you can comment. You can comment. Or, or you can send us bottles of wine, and then we'll get together eventually, yeah. and then we'll talk about yeah, the yeah. problems. Send a bottle of wine with a note attached to it, well, outlining your complaint yeah, yeah, or your question, yeah. and then we'll drink it. Uh, but we're not drunk in philosophy, because that's taken already. Uh, yeah. So we we just, you know, we do this and we drink, so that's, what, that's, <laughs> just, that's just what it is. Yeah. But for those that did make it this far, thank you. Thank you. And I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, And I I hope you read... Have you posted it? No, no, no. No, we're good. I hope you read Illich better than us. (laughs) I hope you read Illich, period. He's he's an unknown thinker. He's one of the... He's an important person that no one reads. So... I definitely read uh, Medical Nemesis and also APC, The Alphabetization of the Minds, which you wrote with Barry and... Really was my introduction to Illich, and I think it's a great book uh, for people who are not familiar with medievalism or the epistemic shift between all reality and literacy. Those are both great books. Yeah. Um, you, you should read Barry Sanders, I think, <laughs> generally, because his books are great. Um, but also Illich, because... Uh, when you read Illich, you're like, oh, I, I see where Barry got his points. Right. <laughs> but that might have been an experience uh, of someone who's like, who had Barry as a student. Right, yeah. Uh, Illich is very influential, and you just read them, period, because even though people don't think you should. Yeah, no, well, definitely go and read them. And if you're not reading anything currently, if you've gotten anything from this, go read things. It's important. But on that note, take yeah. care.